Welcome back, everyone, to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As usual, I am Justin, and I am joined by... Beth! Sam! And I just had the busiest week of my entire year so far. It's been crazy. Also, I'm Caleb. <laughs> Whoa. Hi. Hi, Caleb. Crazy. Yeah. Early January sucks. <laughs> it's not good. I just took out my Christmas tree. It was very exciting. I We tried to just yeet our tree into a giant tree pile, and then it just sort of rolled back down onto our ankles. Good that's job. Bad. Ow. That's bad. That's bad. <laughs> it was a gentle roll. <laughs> I definitely need to get rid of ours because it's a massive fire hazard right now. <laughs> Hooray. Did it allow you to share a knowing smile with another tree at the bottom of the tree pile? <laughs> That is an inside joke for Caleb's workplace. Yep, that I've shared with like three other people, Beth being one of them. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are, we've just finished part three, King, the part where Ellen is not King. Uh, and today we're starting part four, Knives, where it remains to be seen if there are any knives. Actually, I'm pretty sure there are some knives in this. There's a lot of knives. There's, there's, there's knives. a knife in <laughs> Also worth noting, in part four, Ellen, still not king. Yes, very true. <laughs> Remains not king. But he's got the respect of the soldiers. That's pretty cool. We'll talk about it. It would be amazing if they went full, um, it's always sunny, and it's uh, at the end of part two, it's like Ellen goes, I've just been deposed, but I think I know the way to get the kingship back. And then part three is just called, Ellen does not get the kingship back. And it's just eight chapters of us knowing how it's going to end already and then we get to part four it's like all right yeah we yeah sure enough he did not <laughs> that brandy ain't lying that ellen <laughs> sure wasn't king now i'm trying to think if there's anything that like there's there's fun ways you can do this where you just blatantly say that something is going to happen but the details aren't known oh well if it happens we'll get there so yeah, for our episode today, we read uh, about half of part four, which is a pretty big chunk. So we probably want to get things moving along and get talking about what we read because it was eventful and it is going yeah. to remain eventful for the rest of the book. <laughs> the Sander Lanch has started to tip over and the snow is starting mm -hmm. to fall around us. It's not full force yep. yet, but it's it's moving. Yeah, <laughs> we, we hear a rumbling in the distance and we know it's coming. Yeah. It's coming, rumbling. Sorry, that's a joke for uh, uh, one of our listeners who watches Attack on Titan. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jack. So this episode is Caleb Makes Niche Inside Jokes. One at a time. If you're a listener and you haven't gotten an inside joke yet, that's just between you and me. It's on its way, I promise. And if you want to start one, hey, contact us. We'll get the the plugs at the end. Listen, oh, listen to you. the whole episode, and then we'll tell you how to contact us, and then you can get your own customized inside joke. A bespoke joke. I was about to say bespoke. <laughs> <laughs> what a great word. All right. Uh, let's get into it with uh, the beginning of chapter 39 at the beginning of the section. Uh, back in our epigraphs uh Quan does seem to be moving things along a little bit now which is appreciated <laughs> uh, and we start off the section uh with him talking about the anticipation uh the the prophecies of old about the hero of ages 
uh, and says, of course, the Hero of Ages will fit the prophecies. That's how prophecies work. Yeah. I don't know. Sazed uh, um, and Tinville, you know, go into this at length in this chapter about why does it matter? Um, but it's certainly, you know, maybe, maybe Kwanzaa's got cold feet. I'm excited to see him explain why he doesn't just have cold feet. He is starting to run out of room on that plate, so hopefully we, we see that pretty soon. The font size has started to decrease at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, into the chapter proper, uh, we're starting things off in this section with a Straff POV, which it's been a little bit since we've had one of those. Uh, and in terms of extremely short-range predictions... Uh, <laughs> Well done to Caleb. Uh, we decided to award you six podcast points uh, yes. for the six dead Alamancers. Yes, <laughs> six I will corpses, take it. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I'll jump ahead a little bit here, but it is absolutely wild that between me and Sam, I, I did put most of our money on Suicide Squad, but between me and Sam, we came up with four theories, which is that um, sets behind it which is a theory that was not true but was later used to gaslight vin and someone is claiming that that's true and then the other three theories were straff ordered the attack it's zane who's doing a suicide squad or penrod's in all on and knew about the attack and all three of those are to some extent true (laughs) yeah they're all kind (laughs) of valid oh I'm just saying, I think I, I wrote a better book than Brandon, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I had it planned out. We'll, we'll have to see how your ending stacks up against the uh, the rest of the book after here, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah, we find out that the uh, the team that Zane had requested were, in fact, the Alamancers who attacked at the end of the previous section, uh, and Straff is upset that they, he, I mean, he, he says, you know, why did you send six of my Alamancers on a suicide mission? Yeah, not only a suicide mission, but... <laughs> what were they to you, Zane? Some kind of suicide squad? Some kind of suicide squad? Uh, uh, <laughs> What's it been, seven years since sent, I came out or uh, something? Uh, uh, I'm just gonna keep was, talking so we stop getting we start getting away from that suicide was 2016, squad. <laughs> so yeah, we are going on year seven since the Suicide Squad, yeah. Horrifying. Not only were they sent on a suicide mission, they were like a secret, untraceable strike team right. sent into a middle of probably the most crowded gathering in the city of the day. Yeah. To blatantly assassinate some people. And then they failed. Yep, whoops. One got his head blown up. Sure did. Hooray. Damn. And ruined Vin's relationship with Ellen. It is wild to me that for most of the book, it's been like, oh, I don't have any Adium. I am screwed if I get in another big fight. And here we have another big fight. And, you know, Vin got wounded and did some fucked up shit that made Ellen for a second be like, whoa. But... She still definitely fended off the entire attack pretty much perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So as this conversation plays out, we see that there are, there's some tension here in the the Straff Venture camp where 
uh, Zane pretty clearly has his own motivations, uh, and Straff is just kind of trying to keep him pointed in the right general direction. And it seems like that's a bit precarious at this point. Yeah, a little fishy. <laughs> yeah, Zane claims that things will still work out for the better for them, uh, and we will see later this section what exactly he meant by that. And then, yes, we have the arrival of uh, Furson Penrod, who, while he didn't order the assassinations or probably even knew about them, uh, he he is involved here. So, yeah, we have uh, uh, Penrod arrives, who has apparently involved himself in this whole mess on the side of Straff Venture. He seems to have made the um, the kind of calculated decision that our crew was discussing way back when of, I don't think we're going to get out of this, and if I throw myself on the side of Straff, maybe I can extract something from it. Yeah, but Straff, does, Straff dresses him down this whole chapter. Mm-hmm. Just, you're going to have to get used to being a small fish. Fuck you. I'm giving you the city. Dick? Yeah, Straff Venture continues to be a colossal asshole. And he remains sure that Luthadel has Adium. Still. Yeah, that's been kind of lingering this whole book with people going back and forth on what they believe, what they claim. Uh, I mean, from what we've seen... You know, you'd think that we would know from Vin's POV if there was any to be had. Uh, yeah, I feel like we've gotten characters, like, the characters having the same realization multiple times of, wait, there's no Adium, and then, like, three scenes later, there's, like, there's gotta be Adium, and then there's, another character... somewhere. <laughs> another character will be like, there's definitely no Adium, and they'll be like, there's no Adium, and three scenes later, there's gotta be Adium. Like, they just keep <laughs> telling themselves... This is like a, a wolf from Alpha, where if you, did you see the, the there was like a meme that, that was on Reddit like a week ago of like, five plus five, what's five plus five? And it says it's 10. And the guy says, no, it's 11. The robot says, it's 11. The guy says, it's 11. The robot says, it's 11. <laughs> yeah. It's just wolf from Alpha conversation. At least Straff has somewhat of a logical reason of, I ran the mines right. i kept tabs of all of this atium where where where, where it did go? it all go it to yeah be it's gotta yeah. be somewhere yeah <laughs> it's not just set going but breeze said it was there <laughs> but but that guy that betrayed me and took off with my daughter he said that guy who i really really hate <laughs> can spies do that just come into your camp and lie what is that allowed so as the the conversation between uh straff and penrod wraps up even as we saw her last at the end of the last section going unconscious there are several people here who are very scared of vin and what she can do to defend the city and still going to have to be solved in some way for for straff or any uh other attacks Really, really afraid of her. I, I'm kind of with Penrod here. I, I think that um, if there's the handover, that Vin would begrudgingly be like, well, if Ellen says no, then all right. 
But then again, later in the chapter that, or the uh, section that gets directly contradicted. But still, I mean, things have things seem to have changed pretty considerably. Yeah. And then at the very end of the chapter, we get more really weird Zane and Straff mind games where Zane is still trying to poison Straff and he's still trying to do this like crazy stoic act where he just says like, oh, I could tell you were trying to poison me. I don't care. And then he runs away and nearly dies. But it's not even that. It's Zane leaves and it's like, I guess it didn't work and doesn't wait like two minutes just to make sure like zane is just consistently like damn i guess you i guess you're good and then just he's zane's the one that leaves <sighs> i don't get what this is what is this <laughs> it's very and weird. last time last time it was apparently some other girl came up to zane and was like hey can you help me poison your papa and he went yeah okay i guess so did he do it this time or does he just constantly have folks coming up and going hey your dad sucks can i poison him now and he goes yeah sure and then he says i did that (laughs) it was me god said so but i but i tell god no when he says to kill you but I do poison you, but just a little bit. Just a little. And if someone else puts the poison, it's not technically me. So I'm still, but, but also it is me. I, yeah. I have no idea. Like why, if I don't. <sighs> poison you just enough to make a slapstick scene out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Where you almost get speared. And then my other weird thing is strap starts flaring tin. Wouldn't that make him feel way worse? It probably would, but it also does allow him to detect it. But he's, he just got told by Zane, yeah, I poisoned you. And he's running away to, or I guess he flares it before Zane confirms it. But like, if he's not feeling good and he's going to run away and take a universal potion, no matter what, I don't know. It's, it feels... (laughs) I don't know, man. This I don't I, I I don't know. I don't know what this entire aspect of the plot is. <laughs> I wanna say it happened more in Mistborn when we were like learning the 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 basics of Alamancy, but mm-hmm. I thought it was something where tin can help you stay conscious. I know they kinda lean you. on pewter. Vin and maybe Kelsier as well use it as kind of like a like throwing cold water in your face type of thing mm-hmm. where the 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 very blatant sensations can keep you uh, alert there's also an extra weird moment where the he's running towards his camp on his horse and then the guards are like whoa who is that and then there's a guard who has the spear out but then relinquishes it because he sees it's strap and strap is like well i'm gonna run him over anyways which fun fact about horses it will slow them down if you go out of your way to run someone over as opposed to just go slightly around them. Yeah, he's not... Um, I, th- I think we can perhaps forgive him for being not in the most strategic mind at the moment. Okay. <laughs> he says, Zane's gotta die. Yeah, that I think we can probably get behind. Yeah. I'm with him. I'm on Team <laughs> Straff. 
For the first time, Straff has been entirely right. <laughs> we also get one more confirmation in terms of what is technology in this world, because Straff does have a pocket watch, which I don't know if we've seen before. Uh, I think one gets mentioned super early on, like very first couple of chapters of Final Empire. But yes, they, they have figured out um, watch mechanics. Well, never mind. We have learned watch. Watches are cool. What would be uh, Leonard Nimoy's quote about watches if this was a Civ game? They've had some really good... Because you either go with that or you go with Sean Bean, who did the next game's uh, narration. In any case, uh, on to chapter 40, where we, we return to some characters who we like more. Yay. Uh, but Quan is, Quan is addressing his first kind of actual worry here, uh, which is that he thinks that the, the prophecies are a little too convenient if that's a thing that can be said that Alendi fit the uh the prophecies too well i had kwan what 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 does that mean it's, it's a prophecy they're meant to come true yeah that that is kind of the the tricky thing about it and is probably why if this is the argument that he made is probably why people didn't pay attention to that yeah, I, and like you know, he's also already been like, I might be insane. I don't know, and I appreciate that we've been told that because, like, for the reasoning of he can't be the chosen one, he's exactly like the chosen one. Is it just? It's, it's a weird it's sell. A really weird way <laughs> to start your argument. Yeah, I think the crux of this is: uh, is the prophecy known outside the world bringers? Because I think if it is, it is now. I think we've well, been yeah. told that once Alendi found out he might be the hero of ages, he started spreading the word. And I think Quan was also like, in hindsight, that was a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that's yeah. right. I think we get an epigraph where Quan specifically says, Man, I wish it hadn't spread outside of the world bringers, huh? Well, we shall see. In the chapter itself. Uh, Vin is recovering from the, the battle that we last left her with and is fortunately doing at least physically okay. But this is this is probably one of the uh, most difficult mental states that we've seen Vin dealing with in a very long time. Because right as she was fading into unconsciousness last section, she saw Ellen horrified at the violence being committed and pretty early on in their conversation uh, as he's trying to catch her up to speed she goes to to touch his arm and he flinches a little bit and this is it's not good for vin man you want to root for these people hmm. the, this in the chapter where we see the the flip-flop of this with with ellen's kind of point of view about vin just d talk to each other. Just sit down and have a tough conversation. Teenagers, this is how it goes. It's it's frustrating, but it's it's another one of those scenarios of like, 
yeah, when I was their age, I definitely would have handled it the same way of just assume that they hate you secretly and just kind of internalize that. And it's not healthy, but I understand why they do it. Hey, Sam, is Ellen a teenager? He's 21. You're damn right he's 21. Probably 22. But yeah, no, I, I get have... the point. I was talking more from Vin's perspective because she's the one yeah. internalizing stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. And Vin has not exactly had the most healthy emotional development through her life thus far. Nope. With the help of Reen, who's back? Who sure is back. Yay. Yay. We missed you. <laughs> it is actually, I will say, it is weird to have Reen come back and fulfill the same role when a really big emotional part of the Sander Lynch in the last book was Reen in his own strange way did actually still love you, Vin. And he, he did, did die yeah. to protect you. And here he is now still being the voice in the back of her head that's manipulating her and telling her to hate everybody. <laughs> yeah. No, that's like, we did see that development at the end of last book, but it must have been quite impactful uh, through her life up to that point. Yes. We do get some little bit of, of positive turn here with the scene as uh, Vin suddenly uh, remembers Orser, who involved himself in the battle, weirdly enough, uh, and she's very concerned for him, which Ellen is, is slightly amused by. And uh, she's, she's very concerned of, you know, she saw how he interposed himself uh, but then needs to remember that it's very very difficult to actually kill a chandra and so apparently he is uh, preparing a new body and will be rejoining them so we will get to see some more of orser mm -hmm. obviously ellen hasn't had the same you know relationship development with orser as Ben has but he comes across like a huge jerk here <laughs> In comparison, it it is of him being well, so worried and him being like, it he's he's fine. He just got like snapped in half, but he's fine. Yeah, it is wild after Ellen being like, man, every, all the nobles don't care about the ska, but I do. I'm going to see their plight and really understand them for who they are. And then here is another population that is widely discriminated against, and no one tries to understand their pain. And Ellen's like, just a yeah, contra. me too. Ellen's he's like, only... I get one societal awareness. <laughs> exactly. He's only got enough mental bandwidth for one marginalized group. So we then get a kind of update on the, the state of the world while Vin was unconscious. Uh, Set is still in Keep Hasting, though he's probably uh, not as much of a threat now. He's in a, a much less powerful position than he was. It's... So weird that he didn't act hastily because he ordered his army to kamikaze the city if he didn't get picked. He did, yeah. <laughs> All right. Now we're taking it slow. He didn't ask, act hastily even when in keep hasting. That would be the place to do it, wouldn't it? <laughs> we will see some haste actions in keep hasting by the end of this sure section. Will. Oh, oh, will mm. we? <laughs> yep. Uh, but uh, Elland, from his position, which isn't much of a position, like, I don't know, 
are people still just kind of keeping him informed out of courtesy? Because he's not going to get any of the official negotiations anymore. Uh, and so Ellen doesn't really know what's going on with Straff, and that communication has been a, a bit quiet, which is suspicious. But uh, after that, that leads into something that we were uh, very slightly uh, thinking about previously. I, I think we, we brought it up and then didn't have anything to go on, uh, was that Vin recognized one of the assassins. The, uh, as she puts it, the last one. Awkward. I will say, Ellen plays it pretty smooth here of, oh, well, too bad we can't identify him. Hey, remember when you exploded his head? Yeah. Oh, wow. Crazy times. Yeah. And at least externally, Ellen is, he's speaking highly of Vin, which, you know, this is, this is back to that thing of Ellen putting his foot in his mouth by objectifying Vin for her combat ability and nothing else. But <laughs> yeah, yet another unrealistic standard for women. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if if uh part three king was the part where Ellen is not king, part four knives is going to be the part where Vin is the knife. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I really want the the moment where Ellen flinches, I'm so curious about. Like, is it Vin being an unreliable narrator and seeing a reaction where there wasn't one? Is it Ellen was actually freaked out? Is it that he was just, I don't know, tired? I I'm just so curious about that moment. Yeah, that's the, I would love to hear Brandon's thoughts on that. I had a very similar thought of, it could be, I, I, I feel like it's clear Ellen does still love her and Vin is just internalizing things that is she's telling herself things that aren't entirely true because she has been raised in an environment where it feels like that should be true. Um, but there is a question of does Ellen still feel like a little bit uncomfortable and that's why he flinched or yeah, maybe he's just tired and anxious about the fact that he lost control of the city and it's about to fall apart and he just flinches at things sometimes. Um, yeah. I am also really curious about that moment. Mm. I think the flinch was real. And I think it was, uh, Vin thinks it's because, oh, he's afraid of me. Uh, but it was actually because uh, I'm not worthy of her. Like, mm -hmm. I, I lost the kingship. I, you know, the assembly she hates me. She did everything here, and I still lost. That's an interesting yeah. take on it. I That's, yeah. And it's also worth noting, Vin aside... Ellen did almost just get assassinated by six people, and uh, yeah. Yeah. it's been like a couple days since then. And you know who, I'm going to just stress this all the time, you know who didn't almost get assassinated? The Assemblymen. <laughs> they did it's not almost get assassinated. Mm. Stop saying this. <laughs> Ugh. Everybody says it over and over in this section. <laughs> yeah, no, they were pretty laser-focused on... Ellen and Vin. And they were like herded over. Like go to that exit and stay over there. We're gonna make sure you <laughs> don't out leave. Out of the way. <laughs> out of the way in case sets thugs lash out and hurt you. So you can vote for Penrod. Who actually did it? It was Penrod. <laughs> Straff took credit. <laughs> I'm going nutso here. <laughs> I look 
I look forward to seeing your good good work to uh, fix the ending of this book on fanfiction.net. Come on, it's 2023 now. We go to AO3. That's true. That's Obviously. AO3 worthy. I'm so Obviously. sorry. <laughs> I like the ending of this section uh, where Vin is, again, paranoid and correct. Where <laughs> Ellen says, here, here's some, some soup you need to eat to get your strength back. Uh, and says, says it sent this, sent me to deliver this to you. And she's like, so it's drugged then. He's like, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. You because, caught me. Because Sazed knows that Vin is not going to sleep otherwise. And then she still drinks it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Which she definitely wouldn't have done a book ago. Oh. Ooh. No. No, no, no. Not for nobody. Um, something I don't like about the end of this, uh, section is that, um, it ends and, uh, I know there was a lot happening and a lot of killing and violence, but we're, we're not going to talk about the church thing, Ellen. We're not, we're just going to breeze mm. past that. We're not going to bring that up at all. It does seem like something that they do need to, uh, to talk about eventually, hopefully at some point. Yeah. Maybe. Like, even if it was purely a political move on Ellen's part, and and there's no, like, actual theological belief there, that's still something that Vin would have issues with. I know, and I think that's part of, I, I do, I do lay, again, there's a lot to cover in this section, and again, Sandra Lynch has begun to tip forward, um, but... I lay I, I lay a little bit at uh, uh, a little bit of the blame on Brandon here because, yeah, that should be a really like monumental thing that shakes up the relationship. I feel like, and it really doesn't get brought up in this entire section. Even when Vin is talking to Zane, Zane barely brings it up, and it really the only purpose it has served in the story so far is that Ellen does go to some of the meetings, and. I don't know. Yeah, I just really want them to talk about it, and I feel like it's really weird that they are not talking about it. That's true. That seems like primo Zane fodder of look at how he sees you. I really thought that's where it was going. A lot. Because that's what I was complaining about last time, is Zane was like, he'll soon show his true colors, and then through no input from Zane whatsoever, Ellen did in fact do something that appeared to confirm all of the suspicions Zane was trying to plant. And then Zane doesn't even bring that part up. I mean, I think we can go ahead and get into this now because it is what happens immediately. Oh yeah, Zane's next. next. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, uh, because when Vin wakes up, she very briefly thinks that it's Ellen in the room before realizing that it is in fact uh, the middle of the night. There's mist coming in, and Zane is in the room, which is not a good way to wake up. No, no. And then, yeah, this is an extensive section of Zane gaslighting Vin. Because as we see the... I'm assuming part of the plan was maybe they do kill Vin. And and if so, great. But the rest of the plan was that uh, at least one of these uh, secret assassins had been snuck into the house set guards and Vin saw them there and remembered them very vaguely. So now Zane gets to come back and say, 
that wasn't us. Those were set assassins. You you saw them at house set. And now everything is all mixed up. And we do have we don't we don't have Vin literally like flashback and we we don't get the like narration of Vin remembered exactly where he was, but we get Vin thinking, Yes, I did see him, and she does specifically say peeking out from the kitchen while we ate with Set. So is that true? And if so, how did Zane get one of the Suicide Squad to be one of Set's servants? I there's something here is like I don't quite know exactly how this went down. Pretty much any time Zane makes a plan, there's some elements of it that I'm like, why and also how? <laughs> I think what happened here was uh Vin or Zane was like, it was set. And Vin was like, I recognized one of them. And Zane was like, yeah, you recognized him from set. Uh, definitely. And then she was like, I, there were these weird allomancers. These weird allomancers from set. It was him. Yeah. It's just a whole cold reading. <laughs> it was one yeah. of those things. Yeah. Just play along with it. I, I guess it could be, but it's it's this fact that she specifically says he was peeking out from the kitchen while we ate with set, pretending to be a servant. Like, she has an image in her head of specifically remembering that specific guy in one specific place. It wasn't just a vague, oh, yeah, th those dots kind of connect. Like, she does have a vivid memory. But I guess it's it's possible because she's, I mean, she's sleepy and Zane just coming here is like, this is what happened. Trust me. So I guess, yeah, maybe she just, yeah, maybe there is just kind of association going on here and she kind of tricks herself into thinking that's where she saw him and i can see why zane's gaslighting works so well because a few episodes ago we complimented question mark him on his sincerity like when when vin mixed up his his self-harm scars for pits of hats and scars we flagged we were like that's weird that he didn't correct her because zane doesn't really seem to lie and now like turns out <laughs> Two two hundred and fifty pages later, yeah, which is horrifyingly yep. effective. And that's why in court they ask you to say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> this is a whole truth thing. So help you voice in your head. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe we don't want Zane <laughs> swearing court oaths to the voice that says "give him" every time. <laughs> Oh. So I was actually, uh, I was checking the Brandon's annotations for this book uh, to see if there was anything about the moment when Ellen flinches, uh, which there's not. I would be curious to ask him about that sometime. Uh, but what we do have is, uh, this is a, a quote from Brandon about Zane's plan. Uh, he says, I still worry that Zane planting an Alamancer on Set's retinue was a bit of a stretch plot-wise. I think this is just about the line of what an author can get away with and still have things make sense. Oh, okay. So he did plant a Suicide Squad yes. guy there, and everyone in Set's camp was like, sure, new guy, yeah, you can come on, come on in, yeah, that's fine. All right. What I thought it was... Um... And it's gr like having the fact that we have an explanation. That's great. Go with it. Perfect. Um, what I thought it was, was she recognized him in the same way she recognized Zane. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As a descendant of Straff. 
Oh, yeah, I think I, I had that thought for oh. a second as well. And then I gave up on that when she was like, I do remember seeing him. But yes, I also, because I hadn't really put together until Straff talked about it that, yeah, they're all half siblings. Everybody yep. in that Suicide Squad. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yep. Zane I, just got six of his half siblings killed for this weird mind game plan. Yeah. I also really thought, Justin, that you were going to say, I looked up the annotations um, on, or I didn't think you were going to say it, but you mentioned the Ellen Flinch. And then you said, I really think it would be good to ask him about that. And I would just love if Brandon was like, you're asking the right question at the wrong time. That would be <laughs> Everyone wild. has to look back at that Rizzo. Flinch and be like, what the fuck do you mean? We don't know the answer to that yet. That would be absolutely wild. All right. Continuing on, unfortunately, with... <laughs> Zane and his weird mind games here because he is now he's back to his apparent sincerity where he's he's talking about his mental state and his place in the world and the way that Vin is feeling right now this is really having an effect on her I understand why yeah. it's having an effect on Vin but I dislike Zane's sincerity so much that I like him more when he's gaslighting. <laughs> he's good at gaslighting. Yup. He's a good villain. I'll give him that. And then he does something else that is going to be very difficult to interpret. He gives Vin a pretty sizable piece of ATM and then leaves. He bribes her into believing him. <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah pretty much <laughs> don't believe me maybe this will do bye he also says way back um uh vin wouldn't have gotten hurt if she just went sicko mode and killed everybody <laughs> all right he's made you weak he's made you care about killing innocent people yeah i mean we'll uh we'll see where that leads but Fortunately for now, we are, are taking our leave from Zane, at least for a little bit. Yeah, get out of here. I know I said I'd stop snipping my notes, but I'm going to snip my notes. <laughs> yeah, word for word, if she wouldn't, if she had gone full sicko mode. But yeah, for a, a nice change, we, we finish up the scene with Zane and we get a reunion with Orsur, which is a, a much better scene. Yeah. It, it starts well. <laughs> Well, he loves yeah. being well, a dog. Yeah. <laughs> he has dot 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 grown fond of the these bones. <laughs> I I do have a question uh uh to uh Justin. Does Brandon have any annotations on whether or not this dog had it coming or did Ellen just kill a completely innocent dog this time around? Uh it's not mentioned. Okay. Somebody did kill a second dog. Just Somebody worth, did kill a second out. dog. And it probably was Ellen, right? Like yeah, it, it says Ellen's the one who got no... the body. Oh boy. Yep. Yeah. It was practice for the coloss later. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to that. Baby steps. You know, you gotta you gotta crawl before you sprint. Oh no. Yeah. Although I would honestly have a little respect for Ellen if, much like Vin, he killed it by just punching it in the face a single time. <laughs> Bam! Combat Still training. Out. 
Thanks to Tindwill's months of training, I can do one punch. <laughs> What's the One Punch Man regime? <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it. I, I don't have it memorized. It's like it's like a hundred sit-ups, a hundred push-ups, or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry, listener. I failed you. That's not your inside joke, though. We'll do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now that Orser is back, uh, we get another bit of Chandra discussion, which are some of my favorite parts. Uh, we hear some more details about the contract, which we said way back when Vin really ought to read. Uh, and we learn here that it is apparently quite specific in that a Chandra cannot kill a human. Uh, and Orser says there is some debate on this, on how much aiding and abetting counts as killing a human. Uh, but in his mind, he didn't kill anyone, so it doesn't count. I do think it is still worth noting that Contra can hurt people. Um, just, just, just worth keeping in mind. Um, I feel like um, I, it was it was actually last section talking to Ellen when Ellen was like um, said something about like yeah, Orosaur intervened, and Vin's like. What about that statement bothered her? It's like, maybe it's the fact that there's a Chandra loose in your entire kingdom uh, giving a bunch of information away, and apparently they can fight back as long as they don't literally kill you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is good to get more details on the contract. I did, I did like getting more lore. Mm -hmm. And even more than that, uh, Orser is, uh, talks himself into uh, talking about some Chandra uh, like mythology and and origins the uh we we have him almost i think maybe let slip that humans having allomancy is a uh, is a concern and then he's he's talking about the the origins of the Chandra that they they did not exist before the ascension of the lord ruler and that they they were created as his spies. Which gives Vin a moment of pause of, I did kill him, and, and what does that make me in relation to the Chandra? Which is definitely a weird thing to think about. We get another little detail of um, Vin realizing that, like, oh yeah, Chandra are not human, and then she asks, how old are you? And Horsier goes, I'm super old. But not old enough for me to be able to answer more questions about Ascension stuff. I, 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 I'm not going to be able to help you out there. Yeah, which is a an incredibly vague answer. I am very, very old, but not a thousand years old. That's still a pretty big gap. Much older than Kelsier, which depending on your interpretation, I'd say maybe 20 years older than Kelsier. So yeah, anywhere from 5 to 1,000. Or 50 from 2,000. <laughs> Yeah, I did like that. Or, sir, how old are you? Old, he said simply. My mind instantly goes, oh, dang, that's like, hot, probably in the hundreds. That sounds old. Older than Kelsier? Yeah. Like, girl, who is... is he the oldest one you know? Why is he your benchmark? <laughs> Kel was like 30-something. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it would be funny if she like worked her way up. It's like older than Sazed? Older than Tindwill? <laughs> Older than clubs? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no one is. Oh, nothing like that. No. <laughs> so with everything that we we hear about the the Chandra and their origins, Vin does some thinking about that, about what was it like right when the Lord Ruler ascended? What was what was different back in that day? And she starts to do some experimentation, which is not the best thing to do to this person who you're becoming friends with. Um, I, I, I knew, I, I had the feeling something bad was coming because it wasn't just like, oh yeah, there's a connection between uh, Mistborn and Chandra. It's specifically, Chandra are terrified of Mistborn because they can hunt and kill Chandra. And then Vin decides... Wonder what I can do with that information. <laughs> How does that work? And uh, so, as soon as she starts using any elementic, uh, any elementy on uh, or sir, I just typed in my notes in all caps. Vin, Vin, you can't just do that. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is before we get to the result of this. Uh, this is another thing that Brandon calls out in the annotations. He says, this is definitely backsliding for Vin. This is maybe something she would have done earlier, like at the beginning of this book or last book. Uh, and it's not something she probably would have done several chapters ago. But the things that have happened in the state that she's in, this is something that she's going to try now. And it'll have consequences. I imagine mm. it will. Me, I just wrote, do that to docs. Yeah, it's true. Um, in Knights of the Old Republic 2, there is an influence mechanic in which, depending on your dialogue choices, it's not just good or bad. You can gain or lose influence with certain squad mates. And she just lost a lot of influence with Orsur, very understandably. Sure did, yeah. <laughs> because this escalates all the way up to Vin thinking about the things that she can do with Alamancy that it seems like most other Alamancers can't do. Uh, and one of those is her access to Duralumin. And so by using Duralumin-powered soothing, something happens to Orsur that is clearly devastating to him. And that, like, it all just kind of, like, falls apart from there of he realizes he said too much and that Vin figured something out that she shouldn't have. I don't know if she has really figured anything out or if she just stumbled into something that she shouldn't know. Uh, but she's terrified of what she just did. And they end the chapter perhaps a little worse off than they started it, which is not what we had hoped. Perhaps? <laughs> perhaps. Poor Orser. He's, he's gone through a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> sure has. Yeah, this section could just be titled Everyone's Doing Well. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's rough. How about the next chapter, which at least starts with more scholarship? And that's that's been a good time. Yeah, Sazed's <laughs> actually not doing as bad as everyone else, which yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> he deserves it. He does. So a, a very brief epigraph, uh, just kind of transitioning us onwards where Quan says that he has begun to see other problems. Uh, but yeah, here we are again with Sazed and Tindwol. 
doing their their full-on research effort. Uh, they are going through the epigraphs that we've been reading that Sazed had transcribed earlier and are starting to try to to cross-reference and and look up the the historical facts of this and and see what they can figure out about uh, about the deepness. And we see that even Quan says I think Yep, it is just a uh, just a terrorist thing, I suppose. Oh. For centuries, for nearly for over a millennium. Yeah, no, that's true. So as we are going through this um, this research here, uh, we do get something. Uh, I think Caleb, you mentioned that in one of the transcriptions we saw, it actually went ahead of the epigraphs that we have gotten in the book, but this is now a, a passage that is a significant chunk that we either skipped over or haven't gotten to yet, uh, where we have some talk about Rashik, who apparently yeah. was uh, Quan's nephew. And we get the uh, the revelation that apparently Quan had sent Rashik on this journey with Elendi uh, with the purpose of distracting him, dissuading him, and if necessary, killing him to prevent him from reaching the well. So what does that leave us with, given what little we know of, of Elendi from the logbook and Rashik from what we saw as the Lord Ruler? And there's also just a, a, an interesting timeline bit. I don't know how important it is, um, but he specifies uh, Rashik hates Elendi, though the two have never met. And it seems implied that Quan pieced out and like found Rashak and said, hey, go to Elendi and then continued on his way. Mm -hmm. um, and I just kind of assumed like all of these guys were in on the trek towards the Well of Ascension. And it sounds like, no, Quan actually left pretty early on in this process and sent Rashak along the way um, to the point where all three of these characters probably were never in the same place at the same time. Yeah, no, that does seem true. Is is Quan and Rashik had a history as family, but by the time that that Rashik actually joined the the expedition to the well, Quan was was long gone, possibly even like writing this message or on the way to this this hideout. So Tindwell is uh, talking about, or Tindwell is asking questions about. Uh, the the logbook, which is a, a piece of scholarship that Sazed has a much better handle on than any of the other keepers, presumably. Uh, and Sazed mentions that some of the confusion with the the logbook as he was translating it was that Alendi seems overall to be a fairly reasonable person, which doesn't square with the tyrannical leader who is currently ruling the final empire. And so what was it that Quan was so concerned about, about Elendi taking up the power at the well? And Sazed and Tindwell can't figure it out yet. And it, it does seem like a, a, a weird a weird contradiction. We've been in this phase before where you're, you're noting facts and you're putting pins in them, but you're not sure which string connects them and which ones just yet. Yeah, there are a few things here that I, I appreciate. One is that they... Got, they brought in a bigger desk just to hold all their theories, mm -hmm. um, which is something I wish I could do. 
Um, <laughs> and I also just really appreciate that um, with all of Quan's ramblings, it takes the like two of the smartest characters in the entire book going full Attack on Ti- Titan Brain to even figure out what he's trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like Alendi's logbook was pretty vague about a scattershot of things, but Quan's is so... It's about such a specific event, but has no specifics. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Well, Tindwell says straight out, she's a, a, a scholar of biographies, and she's extremely frustrated with how little they actually know of the people involved here. And of course, because this is Mistborn, and things aren't going well for our heroes overall, uh, they do have to take a moment where they're they're pausing and collecting their thoughts to contemplate the fact that the city is in a pretty rough situation and things are likely going to go to shit very soon. And they need to either figure out what it is they're trying to figure out or do something else. I've never been at this phase of like researching or, or writing a paper or whatever, where it's like there's two hours left and I have th- you know, five pages to write still. Um, thank God for that. <laughs> you know, I'm good. I'm good at time management. These guys didn't have the luxury of time management, um, and they don't have the time to reach the proper conclusion, even with the help of their copper mines and indices and everything. I feel I, I feel very uncomfortable with this whole chapter. <laughs> <laughs> it was a breath of fresh air when he moved over to Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like the last line of their section before we moved to Elland is particularly chilling, meaningful. I don't know, it just hit me of, there wasn't much time, true, but Tindwell and he were keepers. They were accustomed to beginning tasks that others would have to finish. Something yeah. about that just really hit me. Yeah, no, I really like that. Yeah, that's a powerful line. You, you think about the, the mission of the keepers to preserve this knowledge for a time when it would be needed that's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years waiting for the time it would be needed and now that time is here and it's now there's a completely different thing to do it it must be yeah. incredibly frustrating and wearing on them but yes we will we'll have to leave that there and come back to it when we can and see what they've figured out if anything uh, because we go over to Ellen, who is just doing a good think here. <laughs> okay, I have a uh, I have a potentially controversial topic to bring up. Oh, you'll see why in just a second. Uh, page five hundred. We have your first couple paragraphs. Uh, despite being a heartless tyrant, Lord Ruler at least kept a significant portion of the population from starving or freezing. They kept armies in check and they kept crime at a manageable level. Justin, what is the next sentence? It says, to the northeast, the Colossus Yours also says waited. northeast. Mine says northeast, yeah. I okay. thought that was so weird. <laughs> Did the Coloss just circle around the entire city to find a nice little niche for them to camp out in? Why are they in the northeast? I wonder if one of the original... Like when Brandon originally planned out their route and wrote down the wrong Ashmounts, if one of them was correct, and then when they went back and corrected the route that they're taking, which is also the route that Sazed took, 
they didn't also realize this line of where the Coloss ended up. Justin, I have bad news because I did make a, a whole video about where all these uh, astronauts are. You sure are. did. None of the one in any of our four editions was to the northeast of Was ever to the northeast? Great. Nope. Love it. Oh, dear. Oh, I'm not usually one to nitpick about geography, but I wrote this down, too, because I thought it was weird. Man, when y'all said controversial opinion, I was like, oh, my, is it about the nature of leadership and tyranny? Is it about Ellen's decision to continue attending survivor rallies? Geography did not cross my brain. No, it's about maps, Beth. It's always about maps. <laughs> the, the controversial opinion is maps. the Northeast. Yeah. <laughs> Screw you, New England. I'm going to throw a big wrench into this and then we're just going to go on because I don't <sighs> think we have no. reasonable time which is just the the really stupid curveball that there isn't actually a compass rose on this map, so we don't know which way north is. No, but they're oh, called no. the northern, southern, western, and eastern dominances, That's Justin. True. That's true. <laughs> Brandon! Brandon! Tell us your secrets! All right. Well, I guess maybe there will have to be a, a sequel to the uh, the video where we figure out how the Coloss ended up on the northeast of the city. <laughs> so, yeah, Ellen is trying to get a bearing on the situation as it stands now, and also what he can even do about it. Uh, because the Coloss army is is there, regardless of which direction it's in. Uh, it... That army hasn't negotiated, which isn't too surprising, though I suppose Jassy's could have done some negotiating. Uh, but it is now the more threatening one of the three, just because of the sheer power involved. And uh, a bit of an unfortunate break where there was briefly some hope earlier that the, the arrival of the Coloss army would uh, produce some chaos among the armies that were camping outside the city. Uh, but Ellen says it looks like, at least for now, Jassy's has enough control on them that they are still being pointed at Luthadel and are not just attacking Set or Straff. But now we do have some talk about the uh, the intersection of the the politics of the city and the the faith of the Church of the Survivor, uh, because Captain Demo is here doing his job as as the uh, the chief of the guard. Uh, wants Ellen to please come inside. And and Ellen says that uh, he starts asking about when the next meeting is going to be. And Demo, it seems, uh, thought that, that Ellen joining the church was at least significantly a political move uh, and is somewhat surprised when Ellen is, is committed to this. Even if it isn't, you know, outright because of, of faith, uh, Ellen says that it, it will be a good thing for the city. And so he's going to keep doing it. Yeah. In this conversation, there is a really, a really interesting line that I do really like. Normally when Ellen's age is brought up, it's upsetting, but um, uh, <laughs> Ellen is looking at Demo and he says, why do I find him youthful? We're nearly the same age. And I don't know why, but that one little detail was really interesting to me of like, Demo is a soldier and that is a very stressful job sometimes. Um, so, you, you like obviously that would probably you know make you mature and kind of age in a right. way quicker 
but in a way like all of the things that ellen has been through has also probably just made him feel like like he had to grow up faster than he otherwise would have perhaps absolutely and has yeah. stressed him out a lot and he just sees a soldier who is energetic and and really um you know devoted to the cause and giving his all um and is like almost not taken aback but it's just like wow that's that it's really weird how different the two of us are i feel like we'll see a a fine point put on that conversation with uh or sorry i feel like we'll see kind of a follow-up to that line in his conversation with jasties and how neither of them were ready for the responsibilities that they found themselves bearing but we'll get there yeah or maybe demo is so youthful and energetic because the conscience didn't take into account <gasps> how soldiers should be more stressed out and tired hmm Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. It's been a while since it, we've busted out an interesting. It has. Been a while. <laughs> so, uh, Ellen does leave the uh, the balcony where he was watching, uh, and goes on a a wander and a think through the the corridors of Keep Venture. Uh, which I, I do like that he is apparently quite used to this, though it was probably in the past. Uh, he was probably thinking about you know his political ideals and scholarship and was using this maze of passages probably to avoid his father. And, and he's still doing it now. It's just the stakes are much higher. I do love a good walk. So I did appreciate that Elland also was just like, I need to think I'm just going to walk. Mm -hmm. and he's thinking partially about the situation the city is in and partially about his relationship with vin which he can tell something has gone wrong there though he has no idea what to do about it i it, it's wild to me that ellen's like what what could be wrong what's wrong and my first thought is maybe she's acting different because you threw her under the bus and you haven't apologized but even that's not correct <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the thing that I literally frantically last minute apologized for and said, this doesn't change anything. I'm so sorry, though. I'm so sorry. Nah. 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 And Vin went, nah, it's because I'm, I'm different. <laughs> After this walk and think, we have a reunion that we haven't seen for a little bit, uh, which is Ellen along with Sazed and Tindwell. Uh, I like how uh, Tindwell gives him a good kind of testing of he needs some more shit talked to him to snap him out of this this moping around. Uh, but that wraps up pretty quick where Ellen is, is very firm and, and saying, don't disrespect me like that. And then they they stop that and they have a normal conversation where they're not trying to insult each other. <laughs> I love, I love the intro to this scene. There's that little back and forth and then him asking for advice, her going, nope, I've helped this king too much already. I have to go, I'm, I'm, looks like I'm taking sides. And he correctly rules lawyers her mm -hmm. and goes, aha, but I'm no longer king. And she goes, that is correct. Ask your question. 
I love that, you know, we've talked about how Tyndall just saw right through to Elm's soul and just read him for filth. It, I love that it seems like it's kind of gone two ways. Like, Elwood knows how to play this game now. Yeah, but because before, in between the, this is my house and I still do what I want and I can make you leave if I want, and between that and the, uh, the conversation about, should you still be giving me advice, there's a little extra moment of, there is still a little bit of shit talk and Ellen's like, that's fine, because I've heard reports of you moping through the palace hallways like a lost child, and Ellen goes, those reports are true. Yeah, <laughs> there's been some moping. See, I like to picture that uh, these reports are as of 20 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone saw Ellen and then just ran in a dead sprint to Tyndall's room to be like, Tyndall, he's moping! And it was Demo. I mean, Demo <laughs> is there. All of that youthful energy. <laughs> but the the conversation that ensues is... Uh, these three characters trying to figure out some big questions here where uh, Ellen sums it up as I would have been king if I had been willing to lie about the way that the the regulations for the vote worked uh, and Tindwell agrees uh, although she says here are several other moments that also cost you the throne uh, but they are all because of your conscience they're because you're a good man uh, and and he says, can I be a good man and a good king? And Sazed says, well, people have been trying to figure that out for several hundred years. So <laughs> good luck with that. It's a great it's an question. old question, even older than Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> I do older want to point out that my hypothetical, my hypothetical Ellen from, from back when Penrod did it, mm-hmm. uh, w- <laughs> Wouldn't have been lying. He would have said yes, but he would have introduced that seed of doubt. It was you, wasn't it? And then say yes, and then people change it from Penrod to you. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Come on, Ellen. You can You're still be a good king. The... <laughs> You're going to have to let this timeline go eventually, Sam, my friend. No. <laughs> I put I put too many eggs in the basket, and the basket fell straight out of my hands. <laughs> They're all cracked, Beth. All the eggs. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had some eggs for dinner just before we recorded. They were delicious. I had cereal for dinner. It's a breakfast for dinner situation. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> anyway let's talk about God. I, I do, before we move on too much, um, I do, it might risk the scene getting overcrowded, but I wish Ham was here for this conversation as well. I feel like he'd love the whole thing of can a good man be king? I feel like this is the discussion is abstract enough that he would just love to dig into a lot of these questions. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. But he's dead, so I, I get a read from him that he's really good at creating discussion topics, but not of p- participating in them. I think there is a little bit of that where he he likes to he likes to throw out the first question. And then if people seem like they're settling on something, he'll add another question. But uh, we did we did note earlier um, from when we were in Breeze's POV and seeing what, what Breeze thought of the, the crew uh, that Ham doesn't really 
on important topics, he doesn't really take a side and, and argue vigorously for one or the other. Ham is thoughts discuss personified. <laughs> and good for him. Yes, I appreciate him for that. But I think Sasa does a great point here. Like, if if uh, Ellen had lied, then he would have betrayed his principles. A good king wouldn't have been haunted by the lie, but Ellen absolutely would have. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's definitely true. So, there you go. <laughs> Gotta find your own way back, kid. Like, you know, you did you. Should have blamed it on Penrod. Should've blamed <laughs> it on Penrod. It's not lying. I'm already dead on this hill. I don't care. I'm a, I'm a corpse on the hill. <laughs> the, the corpse is just going to keep shambling onwards. I am dead on this <laughs> We're oh going to have to like make that a recurring segment of <laughs> theories that you realize you are dead on the hill for. Because <laughs> I guarantee you it's going to come up again. I am dead on the hill of book also would have been better if Reen had been the watcher and it was just an, a new different dynamic between Vin and this other Mistborn character trying to say you don't belong here. We've all got those hills that we have already <laughs> passed away on and no mm -hmm. one can move our body anymore. <laughs> so as we, we wrap up the section, uh, it's Sazed's favorite topic, uh, which is God or gods or some other form of belief because uh as ellen points out you know, you've you've preached dozens of religions to me and even the, that handful there's contradictions so what do you believe and uh says it is frustratingly non-committal here uh saying that i believe in them all and that it is not his position to judge simply to to carry the the knowledge but we, we wrap up the chapter with the the two keepers returning to their study and Ellen having a, a, a moment of gathering his resolve uh, and returning to the uniform of the king that Tindwell had convinced him to wear and he is apparently now going to return to. He's going back in the closet. And then right back out again after he's retrieved the clothes from the closet. Yeah, very quickly. Uh, we also do have Tindwell saying, it was never my place to tell you what to do. Which is such a, like, that's such a great Tindwell line of, yes, your point was to just give him knowledge. But you sure acted like it was your place yeah. to tell him what to do. Yeah. But in a way, that in of itself was teaching him the lesson of it doesn't matter how many facts you learn. It's a lot about the attitude and asserting your position um, that will get the point across and will get people to respect you. And by kind of leading by example, I think that in of itself also helped Ellen to become a better leader. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. But yeah, saying that, that it was... Uh that it was not her place to tell him what to do is pretty rich coming from Tindwell. <laughs> so on to chapter 42, which I realized during the, uh, the portioning up of the episodes uh, is the longest single chapter in the book. So a lot to go through here. Yeah. 
uh, we start off with a, a return to hashtag Quan facts, which we haven't Fuck had in a bit. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Uh, to me, this is this has been the most substantive epigraph in like a long time, because it says that Farukmi existed before the ascension. That's true. It does. I, yeah, because did this we is know that already. I. Th- think we did uh yes we did because um in alendi's logbook we hear him talking about um seeing fair chemists in uh, the the terrace pac-man that they've hired oh yeah shoving boulders aside with a single it's it's treated as like a weird like those mystical like mystical tribes people but it does exist okay so uh then Quan's just a self-aggrandizing asshole, and I take it back. Quite possibly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. He's, he's also, it feels like he's intentionally talking down because he's already mentioned how good his memory is. And then it's almost like he's saying, you've probably already forgotten about how good my memory is, but I'll tell you again how good my memory is. You stupid, not able to remember things reader. But I did remember Quan. This is one that we'll we'll have to see if we can, like, what's the point here? My memorization trick is to repeat it over and over. I'm sure in a couple of graphs it'll be like, here's why my memory was so important, but like, get to the point. Don't call it your fucking fabled memory. That's shut up, Quan. <laughs> shut up, Quan. Quan. Tell us your secrets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <sighs> <sighs> All right. Let's see what we have in this. Uh, chunk of a chapter <laughs> ellen is plotting what we have is ellen trying to uh, run the city and help the people uh, he has started to to try to organize things on a more practical level uh, we have a discussion that beth you spoiled i spoiled. know i'm sorry God. Uh, about the the practicalities of keeping the Scott healthy and warm in the winter, uh, where quite a few of them are living in former nobles' quarters, uh, which with all of their their stone walls and their tiny rooms and whatnot are difficult to keep warm, and the uh, the the ska tenements, even though they are you know bleak, depressing places have nice big rooms with big hearths to keep everything warm. And so if you need to not freeze, that's the way to go. I also appreciate that he also specifies don't force them out of the like mansions, just like explain what the situation is. Right. Because I think it's a very government move to be like, uh, this is what's best for everybody. We will make sure that happens and they won't get any choice in the matter. And the fact that Ellen does trust the Ska to understand that, yeah, the tenements kind of suck, but you will not freeze to death in the tenements. Um, I appreciate that. He's not like kicking them out. He's just right. telling them what the situation is. It's a very reasonable argument that he can make, and he wants to make sure to actually make it. Yeah. Hmm. We have uh, a couple more people joining this kind of impromptu planning crew. Uh, we have the return of Captain Gordell. Gordell! Gordell! Hey. Who we very, very briefly saw in Final Empire. Uh, as he reminds us, he was uh, one of the guards at Kredik Shaw that Vin didn't kill. 
uh, and was the one who did a lot of the the kind of bringing pieces together of getting to the crew and to Ellen and then coming back with Ellen and all that. And then Ellen turns into Harpo Marx. Where he starts taking apart the uh, the walls. Yes. Got to appreciate a good Barks Brothers reference. Most all of them have wooden roofs. Good. <laughs> we'll take them off and feed them into the <laughs> boiler to stoke the train. Watch go west. I insist on it. <laughs> this is a thread. And then maybe we can figure out which way west is and whether there are coloss over there. <laughs> Brandon. Brandon. So yeah, they're trying to uh, get this procedure up and running. We have another return of a uh, minor character who we uh, uh, pointed out and appreciated because it's Felt again, the former uh, venture uh, spy chief. I was going to say, it's notable that he is here with Ellen and not with Straff because I believe the only time we've seen him, he was reporting directly to Straff. He might've been reporting to Ellen, but regardless, it is still interesting that he is here and not there. That is a good point. He, The last we saw him, he was... He was reporting to Ellen because this was the the spying mission of find out where Valette went. Right, uh, right. But he was like his title was House Venture Spymaster, and that that's a good question of the people who considered themselves House Venture. How many of them were here with Ellen, and how many of them left with Straff and have now returned on that side of the army? Mm-hmm. This guy is so fun to watch. He's just like. Benoit Blanc out here. He's just a very (laughs) competent person. He's great at his job. Yeah. No, I like Felt. I like his drooping mustache. I also like him when he inexplicably shows up in a completely different book, but we'll get to that. (laughs) So the the news that he has uh, is uh, he's been trying to figure out how people have been getting in and out of the city and how that relates to uh, the things that have been happening, like the, the well being poisoned or potentially the assassins or, or groups like that. Uh, and so felt has been tracking down the, the kind of covert movements uh, where he, he talks about uh, the pass walls, which are these little kind of secret tunnels out of the, the city that I like that Ellen is blown away by this and felt like, yes, of course, everybody who needs to know this knows that these exist. <laughs> it is insane to me that Ellen doesn't know about the past walls yet. His his best friends are all former thieves. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. And gets into that a little bit in a few pages. He did have a good hunch uh just couldn't take it far enough with uh felt says they they looked at people going in or out through the river uh and ellen says oh they've they've checked there are there are grates to keep uh things in or out and the grates are all still there uh and felt says if you check underwater at like at the very base of them some of them have been removed and then relocked into place so that the people who put the locks there can get in and out. Ellen is dastardly. Cut the locks off, replace them, watch them drown. He, I mean, <laughs> he says that they'll find themselves trapped, but he does, like, they're going to drown. And Felt goes, okay. <laughs> 
Felt nodded, retreating with a happy smile on his face. In fact, loves it. Yeah, go do your thing, buddy. Uh, The next participant here uh, is Larn, who is a member of Demo's congregation, as it were, uh, who has a a amusing bit of awkward fumbling where he says you know i was i was trying to tell this to the king i mean like you were the king but no the the new king sorry i I know you're not king anymore which poor guy but the news that he has is that there is an inquisitor in the city i wonder what they've been up to this whole time yeah anyone had wondered except for marsh oh hmm I have to write something in my notes. Oh, did you just... I, I had a theory, but I think you just came up with the same theory. <laughs> the fourth and I think final... Yes, the fourth and final participant in this this gathering is Ham, uh, who they have a, a fun exchange here where Ham remarks on the fact that, that Alan is wearing the uniform again and how he couldn't stand it. Uh, and, and Alan says that the the vest that ham is always wearing uh, is a uniform of sorts as well because it would it would be a thug who would wander around out in the the cold as the winter is falling without any sleeves on because pewter is helping keep him warm yeah only thugs could take cold like this without sleeveys <laughs> we also get and and i'm going to i'm going to snitch on brandon here uh, we get in this book a reminder that Ham has a family, uh, which was at this point in the book that Brandon remembered that Ham has a family. <laughs> <laughs> he says in one of the annotations that during the the first draft, he had forgotten that fact, that that was a thing in book one. And so on the first revision pass, he wanted to add a little bit about Ham's family. You know, on page 512. Yes. <laughs> but the the section here ends with Ellen having a realization of sorts about the political state they're in, uh, which relates to the fact that Set has really kind of sealed his fate remaining in the city. Uh, and, and Ellen says that the way that things are going to shake out, Set and his army kind of have to tie themselves with the the Luthadel side of this uh, because there's just no other outcome that ends in any good way for them. Which is kind of foreshadowing the fact that, yeah, Seth's sort of near the end of his rope already, um, which mm-hmm. is uh, information that will be confirmed uh, not too long from now. And then Ellen decides it's his turn to try an insane plan, which I don't know if he has the best track record on those, but we'll go with it. And he and Ham go to one of the pass walls and uh, are heading out of the city. Yeah, it's about to get badass. It's about to get something all right. We only very briefly see... Granny Hilda. Granny Hilda. Yes, we only briefly Granny see Hilda. Granny Hilda, but I like her. Yeah. It's like, what, the fifth name wo- named woman in this book? <laughs> Yay. Let me check real Forgot quick. about Amaranta. Sixth. Let me check. We have Tindwill, 
Amaranta, Alrian, uh, the Straff's mistress who we refused to touch with a 10-foot pole. Hozel. Vin? Yes. And and then the ones from previously, which is pretty much just Vin. Which is Vin. <laughs> so yeah, Count's not super high. Wait, I was joking. Is she actually the sixth named woman in this book? Brandon, my guy. <laughs> pretty close. It's not bad. It's close. Uh, according to my cast list, yes. <laughs> whoops uh well <laughs> not to immediately shit on granny hilda i think she's great she feels like a D npc that i would she absolutely does. throw in my campaign just so i could yeah. do a crazy old lady voice yeah and and you know your characters are gonna like every time they're in the city they're like let's go see what granny hilda has figured out Let, let's come up <laughs> with an excuse to go visit granny hilda <laughs> It is, with you snitching on Branton, it is very funny that here we are in 514 and Ham is also shoehorning. Yeah, Marjorie and the kids, uh, we, we, we did mm-hmm. this too. Yeah. Seven. Seven women. There Marjorie. you go. Ham's wife. It's true. Never we see her, forgot but about. we do have a name. Ham's hypothetical wife. <laughs> <laughs> We've never seen her. She live in Canada? hypothetical wife is my new song name <laughs> it would be amazing because i'm thinking there's obviously like uh, imaginary girlfriend in canada but i'm specifically thinking of um i think it's mike from veep who tells everyone he has a dog that he always has to like leave work early to go feed and everyone knows he's lying he does not have a dog he just doesn't want to work anymore and i feel like <laughs> that's ham with his family being like yeah all right my patrol's done i know you guys want me to work overtime but i really gotta get back to go see the kids yeah (laughs) and like breeze and clubs are both like yeah your kids the kids we did have a friend who actually had a canadian girlfriend and for many months we thought she was joking about it and then we started seeing cute pictures of them and we're like wait hang on whoops all right, so on the way out of the city, uh, it turns out that Elland is heading to the camp of Jastes and the Coloss, which is not a place that one would usually want to be heading to. But that is, uh, that's the plan, apparently, today. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this exchange where Elland says, uh, if I don't come back, tell Vin what happened. Sure, I'll tell her, Ham said Riley. Then I'll proceed to remove her daggers from my chest. Mm-hmm. There, there's the knives that the, the part is named after. <laughs> but Elland goes into the camp. Uh, he may have heard some of the, the report from Sezid of what this whole operation looks like. Uh, because he he goes to the, the first Coloss who comes over to, to stop him and just says, take me to Jastes and just tells them what to do. And they they do. Yeah, I'm curious if, as a high-ranking noble, he might have some insight on the Colossus as well. Because the Colossus are, like, a known entity from back when the Lord Ruler was ruling. They're known of? There's not a lot of information about them to the, the public. I know it's not true to the public, but I, I'm just curious if, you know, House Venture was That's true. one of the top houses. If... Ellen might at least have like read somewhere of like, yeah, you just got to go up to them and tell them what you want. And hopefully they won't kill you. 
<laughs> it all uh, yeah it also says he he visited a coloss garrison at one point so he has seen these guys before oh yeah right in this very chapter mm-hmm. uh also interesting here is that the the coloss first tells ellen to get off his horse and ellen doesn't great stuff kid yeah hell yeah there this this either ends up with you getting the negotiation that you want or like getting your arms ripped off <laughs> and not both but yeah this is a this is a very tense place to be in he's he's walking through the camp and he sees just Kolos fighting each other for no apparent reason and they'll they'll have this you know vicious bloody battle and then they'll just stop and go back to tending the camp or whatever they were doing and it is it it makes everybody very uncomfortable if they're not uh used to this and from here we get a uh a, a weird kind of bit of of coloss i don't know I, I don't know what to describe this as where they one of the coloss stops him and says we are not coloss we are humans we will live in your city which is very strange and creepy and threatening. Yeah, I hate that. This is one of those things where uh, if this were a book with like, you take it like three shades lighter, and pardon the comparison here, but if you take it three shades lighter and make it like a Harry Potter book, this is like, oh, look, they're wearing clothes. They think they're people. <laughs> but then, you know, Bran's just like, hey, they're wearing clothes and they're and they're from the city they raided and they killed all the people yeah. and they're all dead and and they are claiming their people and that's weird yeah, it's fucked up it's just horrible it made me feel really uncomfortable it makes you feel uncomfortable but i think part of the reason it makes you feel uncomfortable is because we've gotten confirmation that the conjurer and the coloss like chat with each other and they talk and this book has put a lot of legwork into Chondra should be treated like people. They don't deserve to be treated like these weird, creepy animals. They have feelings and they feel pain. And it's a really interesting and kind of uncomfortable question of how far are you willing to extend that idea? These people can talk. They have a society. They can clearly show some aspect of reason. Um, but because they can go into blood frenzies and they kill each other randomly, we're really uncomfortable when one of them says, I'm a person. But if yeah. Orasora were to declare, I am a person, I think at this point in the book, we'd all be like, yeah, you deserve to say that. And the question of where do you draw the line on who do you treat as a person? It's an interesting idea to explore. And I think it's an inherently uncomfortable one when you are faced with the Coloss and they're terrifying. But we just got done talking about the contra. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a fascinating uh, uh, kind of dynamic that we have going here. So Ellen continues to just kind of try to bluff and or bully his way through this camp of just stating his intentions and then going to do it. Uh, he does get to the, uh, the, the tent of Jastes and manages to, to get an audience and the two of them meet each other for the first time in quite a long time. And it's a, I think this would be a really, a really interesting scene where the way that the world has gone has not treated either of them well, though in very different ways. 
where Elland has has had to has kind of had to grow up quick, even though he already was you know, in his twenties, uh, and has now taken this this mantle of leadership on him. And Jastys, meanwhile, has been through hell out here and looks like it. And yet Jastys is the one saying, Elland, what in the Lord Ruler's name happened to you? That yeah. line is crazy to me. Yeah. You're the one who looks like garbage, my mans. What happened to you, Riff Raff? It would be great if this was the big reveal that Elland has also been balding for the entire book. <laughs> but yeah, this is a... This is a, a weird, tense conversation because they're both trying to kind of have this, you know, friendship reunion thing and and talk their philosophy and all that. Uh, but Jesse's is leading an army to Ellen's home, and it's an army that he only kind of has control of. Ellen points out of the village that they slaughtered, and yeah, it's it's a. a tricky situation to be in here and what we learn is that the the optimism of the the little political discussion group uh we've seen that it hasn't treated elland well in in that it hasn't gotten him the leadership of the city at least not anymore uh, but it's apparently gone even worse for jastes in that when when he fled luthadel and returned to uh, his family's home in the south uh, tried to do these these big like sweeping reforms uh, of of things that they had talked about in their their late night chats, and it turned extremely bloody. And Jesse's lost a good portion of his family. It's darker and darker. It's a fucked up book. <laughs> fucked up, but it's true. Um, it's especially brutal coming on the heels of that whole Ellen Sazed Tindwell conversation about, you know, doing the right thing versus being a good king. And, you know, it is presented as, as the best situation that Ellen stuck with his ideals. And Jasty's initially stuck with his and look what happened. Yeah, it adds a lot different layers. Up until now, Jasty's has felt like he's just kind of the shit kid who thinks he deserves the city because he was also a noble. Um, and now we get the, yeah, exactly. The reveal that he did try the exact same thing Ellen did and it went horribly. And yeah. uh, now he is disillusioned and pretty understandably so. And from there, things turn south pretty rapidly uh, where Jesse's is fed up with this, tells his guards to take Ellen captive. Uh, Ellen does get the, the it's a, a weird to have a moment of satisfaction pointing out that you're not king anymore and aren't worth holding hostage uh but it <laughs> it does it it lets him win that little uh that little bit of it uh because ellen says that that he's going to leave uh and that jesse's needs to take his coloss away while he still can uh, and then, and then that goes badly uh, because <laughs> one of the guards tries to restrain him, and Ellen does a thing. He does one combat here. He does end combat. I do want to say, and I think I'm commending Ellen here. Um, this is 
more insane than Kelsier's ever anything Kelsier's ever done because Kelsier <laughs> was a Mistborn and can handle himself in a fight and would be able to take pretty much all these guards. Elend decides to do a very Kelsier move and he just has a knife. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it, baby. A knife and some gumption. <laughs> nothing else. Just great. I love Elend. It's getting better and better. What a world we live in. But yeah, he he um he does stab Jastes and then threatens him and, and says, You need to get the hell out of here and you need to let me out of here and says, I'm going. Uh and then on his way out of the camp goes with uh one more absolutely crazy thing. Uh, which yeah, he prefaces by saying, he was. yeah, he, he prefaces this by saying, this is stupid and then does it. <laughs> um, there's a moment in some video games where you think to yourself, they wouldn't let me do this, right? They wouldn't let me attack X NPC <laughs> because that would just mess everything up. But I wonder what happens if... And I feel like, yeah, Ellen did that twice in this chapter. What happens if I just do this? Oh, shit. The game accounted for that. All right. Cool. <laughs> Man. And hey, who had Ellen Venture kills a Coloss on their bingo board, huh? <laughs> Not me. Yeah, that's a, that was a long shot. Yeah, it is crazy that Ellen goes from, uh, like, what, four chapters ago? When the assembly fight is happening it's like ellen had the good sense to get himself in a corner so he can be as out of the way as possible because he doesn't he, know what he's doing to he him one v wanting a coloss and winning <laughs> i love it he needs that hunger he needs to be the underdog like that's just him you know yeah, that, that's a good point yeah he was even the underdog when he killed that dog he probably was <laughs> So yeah, he he goes 1v1 against a Colossus. He does pick the smallest one uh and he attempts to use some sort of combat tactics where he stays in close to prevent the Colossus from using the the giant sword that he has uh and manages to to win this fight. And then explains everything away to the rest of the Colossus by saying he ate my horse. And they all nod. Yep, and because they're Coloss, and that's how they operate, they say, yeah, that checks out. I also love the moment of only one way to win a knife fight against a guy with a sword. I have no idea why I'm thinking this, but I feel like the answer is close in tight as fast as possible and kill quickly. And he's correct, but he he has the thought of like, I don't know if I ever actually learned. I, I think I'm just making this up, but it, it's working. Yeah. And then the the final... The reason that he did this whole thing and the final bit of information that we get as we are leaving the chapter uh, is, uh, as as it says, Jassy's had decided to control his army the old-fashioned way. He was paying them. Mm, but what else does he take, Justin? What else does he take? He takes a very large sword. A sword. sword! Is that the sword on the cover of the book? We shall see. That's my question. We'll see. Also my question, paying them with what? Yeah, we don't... We see Ellen look in the pouch and then say he was paying them. 
but it remains hypothetical money. <laughs> it's it's with teeth. Oh god. His own teeth. Oh god. <laughs> He can only he can't have that many colos in his employ. He has twenty thousand teeth, one for each colos. <laughs> what is this war becoming? <laughs> I don't want to know. Jesse's shark mouth lacall. Which means I'm going to take us to the next chapter, which is not a good feel good chapter but it's better than here <laughs> sam put this in your fanfic on ao3 <laughs> jesty just has thousands of teeth inexplicably panrod did it and jesty's is twenty thousand teeth <laughs> those are the All only right. two different. everything else is identical <laughs> justin what's next What's next is uh, Quan thinking about being a madman and us not getting any additional info uh, before we get to Vin watching Ellen while he sleeps. Not a great start. <laughs> By the way, the epigraph, uh, I wrote, uh, Brandon, just say, that's it, I guess. Now I'll write the dictionary. Apple. Aardvark. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Aardvark just... comes before Apple. but I'll just name all the words I can think of. Gotta fill this space uh, somehow. There's an SB email that ends with uh, uh, Strong Bad naming all the three-letter words he can think of. So maybe he could do that on the sled. There you go. It would help because he could do line breaks wherever he needed because they're such short words. <laughs> anyway, uh, the final chapter of our section, we get some, uh, we get some some character beats from. Vin being in a bad place, and we get one hell of an alimantic fight. Mm. Yeah. We start with uh yeah, with with Vin trying to figure out what the hell her place is in this setup right now. Uh and then Zane shows up for can this guy just go die, please? <laughs> mm. Straff, get to work. <laughs> episode two in this episode of Let's Believe the Self-Professed Insane Assassin Spy Again. Yeah. <laughs> I also wrote, uh, oh, he's a bad guy, a bad guy, and a bad guy. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's morally a bad guy, he's mentally a bad guy, and he's adversarially a bad guy. Yeah. Stop believing the bad guy. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> So Zane uh, attempts to convince Vin of what, quote, really happened. Uh, Zane says that Demo is a traitor uh, and was was going to open up the gates. Vin thinks this doesn't make any sense, but there's a lot going on, so we're not going to have, not going to be able to dwell on that. Once again, we get somebody sure that, oh, somebody that, thank God the assembly wasn't hurt. I planned to kill Penrod and kill Elland. No one attacked Penrod, and someone attacked Set. It wasn't Set. <laughs> you saw these things happen. Yeah, this is Ugh. this is a whole. There's a whole story that that Zane is telling here, and it fits in just enough for for Vin to believe him with the things that she's been going through. But looking back, it 
it doesn't quite work. But the the end result of it is that uh, Vin is going to take her weapons, take the ATM that Zane gave her, and is going to go do the thing that apparently she does best, which is go kill some folks. We get a very brief POV from a poor chap named Wellen. Uh, this is, as is kind of usual for these characters, this is a friend of Brandon's. Uh, this is fellow author Dan Wells, who is a, a close friend of Brandon's, and they've collaborated before. Uh, but this is him, this poor sap of a guard who just gets absolutely slaughtered along with all of the folks <laughs> around him. Does does he? Sorry, it's, it's been a bit... It's implied that he dies. He doesn't actually die on screen. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, that's like a... Like 40 Gorodels right there. Just a bunch of, bunch of innocent guards who might have been able to be talked to. Just instantly dead. Yep. Yep. Yeah, this is... It it almost feels like, well, and in some places we know that that she has to keep other people safe, but it feels like Vin has been holding back, and now this is, this is what she can really do here. Because this isn't like I said, it's a big alimentic fight, but it's more of just an alimentic slaughter, where it's yeah. it's Vin and Zane, who are both we've seen extremely capable fighters, just mowing people down. And it's ugly. I hate the combination of who's doing it, but it's and what they're doing, but it's also kind of really freaking cool to see two Mistborn work together like this. Like, the only Vin and Kelsey are team-up moments were them failing to break into Credit Shaw and then immediately running away. Yeah. Ah, those happy days. Yeah, (laughs) good times. Vin fought on her own. So all of these moments of them, like, sharing coins and, and using each other as part of the physics equation that they're constantly doing as Alamancers, it is deeply cool and deeply fucked up. Yeah, this is one sequence that I would love to see um, in... I, I probably couldn't all be done in one single take, but I would love some really long takes yeah. of them storming the tower and then going floor by floor. You know, it it might be similar to to Vin and, and Kelsier's team up, but I think what would make it more similar is if Zane said, "Let's sneak up on him and drop kick to the first guard he saw." <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget that sneaky technique? Uh, yeah, one thing that I I think is interesting thinking about a a visual adaptation of this. Um, in the annotations, Brandon calls out this scene as uh, his his um mental inspiration for this uh was the lobby fight from the first matrix movie except Mm -hmm. with more Uh, focus on the consequences of all the people who are actually getting killed yeah that was always a really weird scene to me because yeah those are just guys that are all dying yeah no he says in the annotations that he was thinking of of this that scene not because it was because it looks amazing which it does but mm-hmm. the fact that there's never, th- there's not time or attention on any of the consequences of it. Right. But yeah, we see, um, especially when when Vin 
gets her derailment techniques involved as well. Like there's just nothing anybody can do about this. And then at the, the final uh, pinnacle of the fight, uh, all that's left is Set and his son, uh, who Vin was so sure that one of them had to secretly be a Mistborn. Mm. And it turns out, no, these, these, these are just two guys up against Vin having slaughtered basically their entire guard. And that is, that does actually break her out of this at, at the very end. This is not cool. <laughs> this is so uncool. Not good. <laughs> I do respect Set just being like, yeah, came here to kill me. Do it. Like, I, to the end, he's just kind of very upfront, straightforward. You know, I know why you're here. Um, he's also trying to protect his son there. He's, he's like, yeah, he's... Th- this is the end. Just come kill me and at least leave him. Yeah. Um, and there's also a lot more talk of the boy and the young boy. I cast like a 30-year-old man to play Njordin, and I'm realizing I probably <laughs> skewed a little bit younger when we get to these descriptions. Possibly. But the book also kind of shrinks him here because, uh, you know, it, it, it talked about like... Uh, Set's young son, and I was like, "Oh, does he have a young? Does he have like a, a little eight-year-old like kid?" No, it's Nurendin who's about Spook's age, and yet they describe him as young son. Ugh. And by they, I mean he. And by he, I mean Brandon. Brandon, I really like Set's line of, "I've always been a gambling man." When he's telling Vin to just like get it over with, because we've heard that before in regard to like him making these daring moves and everyone being really impressed and, and thrown off. And it's, I feel like I've never seen that line in this context of, yeah, I've always been a gambling man and sometimes you lose. You lose. Yeah. yeah. And if you have the resources, you can go and throw yourself back in the game and maybe win your way out of it. But at this point, set has nothing. Yeah. And then the the two of them having split up during the fight, Zane now returns here, uh, tries to to get. Uh, he actually just goes to to kill Set himself, uh, and Vin has has realized that there's there's no point in that. There's nothing they gain. It would just be killing a not an innocent man. You know, Set isn't innocent by any stretch, but a man who doesn't perhaps deserve to die here. And Zane, it's it's just another mind game here, is Zane says that he hoped that seeing what the, the power of a Mistborn could actually be, that that would show Vin that she shouldn't be controlled by Elland. And all of these people dying were just, I guess, a consequence of that. And if that didn't work, then he leaves again. And that is where we end the chapter with Vin leaving as well with the the entire set force just smashed to pieces. Yeah, there's a really, a really like tense moment of will Zane actually kill set? 
and I'm I, I like Set as a character, and I'm glad he's still around. But by not killing Set, I feel like Zane in Vin's mind scores or does not lose any points. Whereas I feel like there would be a wedge between them if Vin is begging, "Don't kill him, don't kill him," and uh, Zane does. Um, the fact that he doesn't is like, damn it! Now Vin, th- th- there's no yeah. wedge between them. They're still gonna like be be hanging out together. And the best, uh, the the e- easiest to see and the most badass visual, possibly so far this book, is the two chapters where it talks about how the room began to shake, and then ending with a red stream from the tips of his fingers. Uh, that little bit with Zane on page 537, that is chilling. Like, I read mm-hmm. that. Uh, it, it, yeah. Chilling stuff. The fire all around him as well, yeah. Ugh. I mean, you can see that, like, clearly. Crystal clear. Yeah. But that is where we wrap up our section. Uh, that's half of the part. We've seen Vin in a, a pretty low place, and this this is kind of the consequence of it and we're going to have to see where this goes from here uh because i guess it could get worse and hopefully it can get better but it's <laughs> it's a very difficult place to to leave it here so if you're reading along with us you're welcome <laughs> mm-hmm. this was a hard section to split up into chapters though yeah but I guess we do have to uh, have to do our our wrap up here. Uh, we do have, I think, a a casting or two to add, uh, and then we can get on to figuring out where the hell we go from here. All right, who goes first? Flip a coin. I call heads. Uh, it's heads. Yay! I go first. Right, who are we adding to the list today? All right, so uh, I got Gordel, Felt, Larn, Granny Hilda, and then I guess Wellen, and uh, what's his name? The other, the guy who yells, hey, Wellen. Larmo or something. Uh, Jarlo. Jarlo. Yes. Jarlo. I don't have Wellen or Jarlo, um, but I do have the other guys. Uh, so Gorodel. Uh, Gorodel, I've got... Uh, Mark Alamo, uh, and I'm going to go circa 1980s because he is in his 80s, uh, a.k.a. Gold Ducat from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, tall, kind of imposing fella. Uh, but, you know, you could see how he was, could be a villain, could see how he could be like a reformed villain. Gold Ducat. There you go. Uh, let's see. Felt. Uh, still Eugene Hutz, the Roma Wunderkind himself. I'm sticking with him. Yeah, uh, no, I like that. Because he's got the, the droopy mustache. You, you did provide so. <laughs> a good picture when we heard about Felt's mustache. Yeah. Uh, so I'm still sticking with him. Or Felt. Uh, Larn, uh, I'm punting to Caleb. I'm, I'm out of young actors. Oh, I don't have, <laughs> I do not have a Larn. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Then I guess Larn will be uh, a member of the crew with a a paper bag over his head. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody. We'll have to leave that one out for now then. I'm not good with young actors, man. There's too many young people in this book. Anyway. Uh, 
Uh, all right. And then uh, Granny Hilda. Uh, for uh, her, I picked that Linda May, a.k.a. Linda May from Nomadland. Uh, she plays herself. So, um, pretty good movie. I wouldn't watch it again, Nomadland. I think it won Best Picture. But, yeah, Linda May. She looks like a fascinating person. Yeah. Like, she's got a story, right? Just like Granny Hilda. Yeah. All right. And then do you have either of our two unfortunate guards here? Uh, I do not. But since it's a Brandon friend, we should go for, like, a hyper-celebrity casting. <laughs> <laughs> we should we should go for, like, the improbable, like, they're not a good actor, but they're famous. You know? <laughs> but... I mean, I was going to say you could also just actually put Dan Wells in there. I was just going to say oh. Dan Wells, yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll do that. I think for all of these, uh, like, one-off corpses that are Brandon's friends that he just keeps killing off, it should just be Brandon every time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Revenge. Matt Mercer is a, a guard that dies in yeah. every episode of the Vox Machina show. <laughs> that That's his designated cameo role. Yeah. We just put a different different facial hair on him every time. Yeah. No one will tell. All right. Uh, Caleb, how about you? You actually had a Gordel casting when we met him briefly back in Final Empire. I did. I believe I put Nathan Darrow. That you did. And I'll keep that. He's okay. fine. That, that works. <laughs> um, I don't have a Larn. Um, I did have a Felt. Um, okay. And I believe I cast uh, Alan Tudyk previously. Uh, that you did. Um, I I know you've said he shows up in another book. I don't know how big his role is. I'm starting to realize two thirds of the way through Well of Ascension, Felt's not like a super major character, it seems, in this series. He's not, and that's why I'm fascinated with him showing up in another book. Okay, okay. So I, I think I'm going to retract Alan Tudyk and save Alan for, for something else. Um, I, we got to thinking about, uh, we, we got told droopy mustache, and I wanted someone who's charming. Um, and so having recently seen Bullet Train, I thought about uh, perhaps Aaron Taylor Johnson as felt. Um, but I also really like Aaron Taylor Johnson, and I, don't, I, I might want to save him for something else too. Uh, so who do you turn to when you want Aaron Taylor Johnson vibes, but you don't want to cast Aaron Taylor Johnson? Uh, you cast mm -hmm. Jai Courtney. Uh, so that's who I'm going to put as felt for right now. All right. My oh no is not a judgment on Jai Courtney. I thought you were going to say uh, Evan Peters as a reference to <laughs> where they made the great boner joke that everyone loved so much. His name was Boner. It's the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. Funniest shit. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, and then I will I will ask directly, if I may, um, uh, do we see Granny Hilda again? Sadly, no. Okay, then I am going to just not cast her then. <laughs> uh, and then either of the... You're good with, with Dan Wells as himself? Definitely Dan Wells. And then uh, we will... It, it'll be it'll be a like a... a uh, what do you call it? Like a double. It's not actually him. Um, but the voiceover will be Matt Mercer for uh, the other guy. For Jarlo? Okay. <laughs> Dies terribly, yeah. Matt Mercer, voice. Okay. 
Um, and yeah, that's all. That's all my casting. Before we move on to theories, I do have one last discussion. Um, okay. So we have Straff, we have Set, and we have Jastes. Yes. I leave it to the three of you to determine. Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss. Who? Uh, I think. So Set is obviously Girl Boss. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna put Set as Gaslight since he's been sort of talking big this whole time. But he 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 doesn't usually lie. He tells blunt truths. I think this game is too zoomer for me. There is a scene that features him lying, though. That's that actually that is true. I think. Yeah, I think I like set as girl boss Straff as gaslight because of all the weird mind games he and Zade are playing. And then that leaves Jastys as gatekeep. As gatekeep. I will admit I've given this some thought. I've given this some thought. I think there is not a super strong gatekeep. That is that is the one that is the hardest to find one for. I think because I I actually consider Jastys as girl boss. He's just doing his own thing. He's off on his own. He doesn't care about any of <laughs> politics. He's just doing his own thing. With the weird God monsters. A woman do anything. <laughs> like bring 20,000 Kolos to a city. Anyways, that was a fun little... It was it was worth <laughs> playing. I'm going to think about that. We are two hours and 18 minutes into this recording, and I decided it was time for a ghastly Keep Girl Boss discussion. <laughs> Definitely a worthy use of right. our time. That being said, it has been a uh, a long recording thus far. I definitely don't want to do the the turbo predictions like we did a couple episodes back because there's lots of good stuff to talk about. Uh, but without further ado, we should get into what is coming up next. Yeah. Sam, what the hell is coming up next? It's <laughs> uh, a great question. Um, uh, here's a question. What brought about the Chandra? Hmm. Chandra when young are called mist wraiths. The deepness was presumably the mist, but worse. Uh, maybe the way to defeat the deepness originally was to split into creatures and bind it to a contract. Could be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because uh, they did not exist prior to the ascension. So there you go. Uh, a possibility. I don't know. I don't, uh, anyway. Uh, uh, Jastes will eventually see Ellen's point and try to take some of Straff's land or Set's land. Uh, the Kolos seem to be motivated to take Luthadel, though, uh, so kind of hard to say how that's going to turn out. Uh, maybe he'll find himself unable to order the Kolos to do anything at a certain point and be hoisted by his own petard. <laughs> we shall see how it all goes. Um, let's see. Uh, Set will leave Luthadel. Uh, he's either going to head back to Haverfrex or he's going to hit Straff in one kind of final strike. Okay. Um, but I kind of feel like he might just head home. Like this was pretty humiliating. He's, he's done for his him. part, and it's time to turn tail and run if you can. I yeah, I think it's getting to that point for Set. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, the Inquisitors are poking around Credit Shaw. Either a. Uh, because Marsh is doing sleuthing and people mis uh, identified him 
thought he was someone else. I mean, he is... He is an Inquisitor. Yeah, exactly. So, technically, it was an Inquisitor. Um, but uh, I think it might just be that the Inquisitors are, are poking around Credit Shaw looking for clues. Uh, maybe they're having trouble finding the well. So, they're they're looking for clues in the different books and tomes and the secret room within a room that are within Credit Shaw. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Because I still think that the the uh, Inquisitors are going to the well. So okay. hang, in, hang in tight on that one. Um, let's see. I think the sword on the cover is the one recovered by Elland. All right. We, um, we've got one of the two there it. then. Yep. It, yep. Uh, who, to reiterate, was the first person in our gang to kill a Coloss. Sure was. was. Elland Venture. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, let's see. Uh, Ellen's going to figure out a way to become king again. Uh, he's got that killer instinct now, literally. He, he killed <laughs> literally. something. Uh, I don't know if he has time to politic his way back. So what I think might happen, um, because it's clear that he's kind of got the mandate of the people. Right. Um, maybe he just relegates the assembly to obscurity by leading the people anyway. Yeah, it you know? seems like he's now in the, the mental position to try that. He's soldiers the most are... kingly he's ever been. He's just not the king. Yeah, exactly. Soldiers are listening to him. Uh, people care what he has to say. You know, we'll see. Maybe he'll just be king. Um, and as for Vin, uh, now would be a great time for Vin to go into exile and become the hero of ages by going to the well. It does seem like she could use something that's not what just happened. Yeah. Would this be self-imposed exile? Because exile, I think, like, you have been banished. I think that she's going to leave before people learn what she did. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, from what she knows, blah, 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 deepness, um, well, something. I don't have all the pieces. I know to go north. She's going to start going north, and then who's going to join her? Marsh is going to join her. All right. She's going to come, come across her, and Vin and Marsh will go and siblings and weirdness, and, <laughs> and Vin will become the hero of ages. There you go. And that's it. All right. I do like the the idea of uh, Ellen like, trying to do the the his leadership in what he thinks is the right way with the the council and the the vote of the people and all that and it falling apart uh and then after doing all these things that he's doing and getting the the support of the people saying i guess i have to throw all that out but trying to be the leader anyway i do like the the kind of symmetry of that all right uh, and then for Caleb, what do you have for us? All right, strap in, folks. I got a lot today. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, all right. So I am sticking with uh, my uh, theory from last time that uh, Penrod will lose his head rod. I'm just going to keep coming up with a different pun for every single episode until it finally happens. Um, I think that is uh, the only way for Ellen to officially get back to the throne. I think it's probably he will gain the trust of the people but in order to officially become king Penrod's gotta go a little bit 
I feel well. I don't. Yeah, I don't think Ellen's gonna do it. But I feel like it would be kind of dumb if Ellen was just like, "I'll just do the same thing again and lead another vote of no confidence and then be elected king." I feel like there has to be a different way of that happening, and I feel like it will be because someone else kills Penrod, and then Ellen will be like, "I'm back." Um. So, um, I feel like the Inquisitor at Credit Shaw is definitely Marsh. It's always Marsh. It's it's happened twice already that we think there's a super evil Inquisitor, but then it's just Marsh. It's okay. Um, and I feel like we have to complete that trifecta. Um, I have a, a question that I would like confirmed. Uh, Vin swallowed the Adium before hitting uh, Set's house, right? Yeah, uh, she did, yes. So based on what we've been told from Adium before, that's gone. That, that's she ain't getting that back unless she uses it in like the next hour i believe kelsey was at one point i think so yeah. yeah i think he told us that you have to use it like before you go to bed or it'll make you yeah, sick it's right? only like a couple of hours well, i think that's for all metals but i think kelsey yeah. specifically said adium's like especially like goes by real quick and gets digested really quick um, so I don't have a theory about that, but that's, that's rough that you got your first Adium in months <laughs> and immediately blew it on, uh, a, a mission that you didn't know had the difficulty setting of very easy. Um, uh, but, uh, alas, um, uh, speaking of Adium, I've been, th I've been thinking. So on the one hand, I was thinking, where could the Adium be? And we are pretty sure no we're not sure anymore <laughs> we don't really know what adium's uh extra metal is it was supposed to be the 11th metal but the 11th metal seems more tied to gold in terms of um its ability um of seeing visions of something i forget how much has been confirmed or deconfirmed but it feels like gold and the 11th metal go together, in which case we still don't know what links with Adio. It does seem Is to kind of... of not fit in the chart very well. Okay, that, was, that my question was, does that line of thinking make sense with what we've been told? Or am I forgetting something big? It's definitely not as clean as, as the others. Okay, so if, there, if, if it's the case that they don't link up perfectly, then presumably there is another metal that would theoretically be an alloy of Atium. Um, and if that's the case, maybe there's like some sly way of hiding the metal by just transforming it into a different metal that's also useful in some way. I have no idea what that would be used for. I have no idea why they can't find another mystery metal that they've never found before and be like, huh, that's weird. I don't know what this metal is made of. Um, but that's a possibility of what's happened with the Atium of it has been transformed into something else. Um, my other question was, I forget exactly how and why the process was, but Hatson was destroyed really easily, it was. which makes me think it's probably really easy to get rid of a lot of Adia because you just do whatever Kelsier did. Um, so it really is not that out of the question that there was a bunch of adium and it's just gone now because somebody knew how to destroy it and they didn't want anyone else finding it. Um, 
So I'm curious if that's kind of where that plot line is leading, because we're pretty sure the Adam's not in the city. It is a very strong question of, well, then where is it? Right. What happened to it? Um, so uh, there's that. Um, I've been doing a lot of flipping back and trying to, to piece things together. And I don't know. This could be crazy. This 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 is going to be insane. This might be way out there. I'm not going to put all my chips on it, but I'm going to put a few chips on it. Um, I think Jastys might have a Chondra buddy. Um, because uh, we have um, he we have the Coloss saying we are not Coloss, we're people, and we're gonna be part of the city. And we have Jastys apparently treating them like people because the way he's getting them to work for him is by paying right. them. And like I said, we have had discussions of the Coloss and the Chondra have had chats and they've talked about um, how they should deal with humans and how they should interact with the wider world. And I am curious if there was a Chondra that basically hooked the two of them up and went, hey, Jastys, if you treat the Coloss like people, then they'll work for you. And turned to the Coloss and went, hey, if you go along with Jastys, you can just kill everyone once you get to the city. Um, but, hmm. uh, I'm curious if, if there is a Contra who is, uh, uh, at play here. And that got me thinking, and I went back, I don't know this for sure, but it's worth pointing out. Okay. From what I can tell, from what I could find. Zane, we see Zane finding a note, and he says the note is from his spy in the Venture Castle. That he does. And I try, I thought... There was a point where Straff asked Zane, hey, how's your Contra doing? But I couldn't find that exact line of dialogue when I went back to look. It could be there, and I just missed it. But I don't know if it's actually been confirmed that the spy working for Zane is a Contra. Um, we know the Ventures have a Contra, so presumably it would make sense, like that would all fit. Um, but we don't know that for sure. And so it would be a wild curveball that I'm only putting a couple of chips on that the Contra imposter is actually a completely separate spy working for Jastys, and that's the same one that's been planting all these seeds. Interesting. And that would explain why, like, there have been there have been points where clearly Straff and Set know more than they're letting on. But there have also been points where they're learning things, like Straff is learning things from Zane that he really probably should have known from the Chondra, but it has to be Zane going in to get that information instead. And Set seems to be learning things that if he has a Chondra on the inside, Set should probably know some of this stuff already. And it wouldn't have gone so wrong in this last chapter. Yeah, so I, it's pr I'm pretty sure it's not Set's. And the strongest suspect is Contra is working for the Ventures still. Um, but it is, it's still, and we know there is a spy on the Ventures, but it's still, there's still kind of a weird mismatch of Straff should know even more than he does if one of the main crew is a Contra. Um, so I am curious if there is an extra twist in there and perhaps there is another Contra working for Jastys who potentially is the same Contra that is the imposter. I am putting that on the table. Okay. I also have one really last one that's a little bit random, but um, I think I posited this at one point. I am going to officially guess um, that the epigraphs in uh, Hero of Ages are going to be from Rashex. 
perspective. Okay. Because I feel like we've gotten a very strong, here are the three main characters of that storyline. Right. And we've gotten Alendi and we've gotten Quan. Um, and then all of Sezed's and uh, Tintwill's theories got me thinking. Um, before I put any further theories out there, there's some Final Empire stuff I want to go back and double check. Okay. But next episode, I may have more on that oh next episode uh, we're gonna have all of... new stuff to talk about trust me yeah <laughs> oh goody uh, but uh i will much like right now i will be shoehorning in things that may not actually be relevant to the reading um depending on what i rediscover um but uh yes that is all i have for now all right uh we did this once before i think in i think in in final empire mentioned this but uh in the group of theories today between the two of you uh there was another hit for yes but that's a thing that happens in a completely different book so which are are always fun for me of yeah that does happen just not when you said it happens all right <laughs> all right in a completely different series that Penrod shows up and immediately killed. Alongside Felt. Yeah, Felt's the one that Felt kills him. Yeah. He, he would be well equipped to do so. All right. Yeah. Um, I was going to uh, mention this in our uh, post-show kind of chat for preparing for the next section. Uh, but the section coming up, which is the rest of, of part four, that's chapters 44 through 48... Uh, without, you know, going into exactly what's going to happen, this one's going to be a doozy. Uh, and as we're going through it, we should be very careful to not talk about the things that we've read until we're sure where everyone is in this section of the book. Because there, there are some moments that will be worth getting to unspoiled, even if it would just be for like a couple of pages. Yep. It is wild that the next page starts with Vin tried to cry at Ham's funeral, but the tears just wouldn't come. And that was a twist I really didn't think would happen so suddenly, but there we were. All right. Yeah, no, I think that will do it for now. Uh, it has gotten into the late hours here, and I know we've got uh, things to do, places to be, all that. But books to read. Books to read, yeah. Uh, but before we go, I do want to remind everyone uh, that you can find all of these episodes at alwaysanotherpodcast.com, as well as emailing us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, as we've got the end of the book coming up, if you've got thoughts on kind of this this book as a whole or going into Hero of Ages, there's a good chance that by the time you listen to this, we get your email, we talk about it, if that's something you want to talk about go ahead and, and send us your thoughts you can also find us on the various social medias on instagram at always another pod uh, as well as on twitter at always another pod uh, both of those we update when our new episodes come out so you can keep a watch on there if you don't have the the feed itself uh, as well as various other little fun bits and pieces in between and uh, I also just want to give a quick word to today's sponsor, which is Bespoke Joke. 
Uh, please use our promo code for 10% off your bespoke <laughs> order. That's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-J-O-K-E. Thank you. I need to go Can register get... that domain. I, and and redirect it to our podcast, yes. <laughs> Enter code always another pawn. There's no A in that number. Oh, it got the character limit. It's already registered. Bespokejoke.com no. is Damn already it. registered. <laughs> what Damn about it, horse? Brandon! Dot, dot theoretical horse. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think that's where we're going to end it here with me looking up weird <laughs> domain names. <laughs> Anything else, or are we hitting the, the stop button? That was my chaos to edit. Yeah, chaos emeralds. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, Cass Emeralds. It always comes back to Sonic. Shadow, I guess. Shadow. Cut this. <laughs>